Good morning again. Obviously, we're in this series looking at the letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae, uh, entitled Colossians, where we've entitled the series in this letter, um, Jesus Changes Everything Full Stop. Uh, as what we're saying through that, and what Paul wants us to get a hold of through this uh, letter, is that Jesus does change everything. And we're never to limit what Jesus is able to change. And we're never to add to Jesus in there needing to be something else to help him change it. But rather that we're going to see through this letter that actually Jesus truly does change everything throughout the whole of the cosmos. Uh, and therefore, this morning we're going to get to look at the next bit of Colossians 1. And before we get there, I want to just tell you a bit of a story. A story that's told of a professor who goes into uh, his uh, classroom to lecture the theatre group uh, in front of him and as he's there he has a jar and in front of him is a, by the jar are a load of kind of larger stones, pebbles, sand and two cups of coffee and he grabs the stones and he says right pours them all in and then he says is this jar full and everyone in the class goes yes it's full and so he then gets all the pebbles and pours them in, and they kind of make their way in between the gaps of the stones. And then he turns to the lecture theatre and he says, is the jar full? At this point, there isn't as big a crescendo. There's kind of some people are thinking, I think this is an illustration. But still, some are pretty excited, and they half the group shout out and say, oh, no, oh, yes, it is full. And so then he gets the sand and pours that in, and the sand makes its way through the gaps of the pebbles and the stones and, and fills the jar. And... At this point, he says, is the jar full now? At this point, no one speaks. And then he grabs the two cups of coffee and he pours them in. And the jar is filled to the rim. And then he turns to them and he says this. This jar is like your life. You need to make sure you always start by putting the things that most matter at, in at the beginning. The things that are going to be the values that you live with. Then from there, you then put in the other building blocks of your life, your, your marriages that you might have, the way you're going to live your life, the jobs you're going to have. You then put those in. And then, then you're to then put the sand in. And the sand represents all the small stuff, everything that every day has to throw at you. Because if you start the other way around, if you start by putting the sand in first, you'll never get to fit everything else in. And you'll find that the values that you long to live with never are quite there because you're always just sweating over the small stuff. And then someone like perked up and said, but, but what about the two cups of coffee? And the lecturer turned to everyone and said, well, there is always room for coffee in your life. <laughs> um, today I want us to look at a passage, as I've said in Colossians 1, where Paul wants us to understand that we need to live as followers of Jesus. And maybe we're here in the room saying, yeah, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, for you, my hope is you're going to discover something of what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. That as we live as followers of Jesus, we need to live with right foundations. That we need to ensure that we have the right rocks in the container of our life at the very start. And that isn't something that we just do once forever, but it's a, a daily rhythm of how we're to live each and every day. And in it, what we're going to therefore look at is going to seem sometimes familiar to some of us. For some of us, it's going to maybe feel like, man, this doesn't feel as kind of hoo-ha at the hearse can be normally. This is more just a talk that's just about how we just follow Jesus in our everyday life. And it may not seem like rocket science, 
But actually, if we don't live with this stuff at the very core of who we are, we're going to soon discover that we become individuals who continuously have the wrong set of priorities. A continuously finishing days feeling like they were chasing away from us rather than feeling like we were in control of them. And so it's that in mind, I was to look at, therefore, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. It will appear on the screen behind me. I'll read it through in the giant letters, and then we'll go from there. Paul writes this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Just a quick aside here. If you remember from week one, Paul wasn't involved in planting this church, starting this church. It was rather someone who'd heard the wonder of who Jesus was, a guy called Epaphras from Paul. And then out of what he heard from Paul, out of what he got hold of from Paul, he then went back to his hometown and talked to his friends and family. And through that, and through their kind of taking hold of the wonder of who Jesus is, this church was planted in Colossae. Then Epaphras goes back and reports to Paul everything that's gone on. And what is amazing is that Paul at that point, as soon as he hears about this bunch of believers, it causes him to do what he always does at this point. And you see it through the stories of Acts. You see it through each of the letters. Is It causes him to pray. Praise for this bunch of people he's never met in person, but are so dear to his heart. And then it expresses it in this way. He says that since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped from praying about you. Now, this wasn't like a kind of sweetening up kind of letter of saying, hey, I pray for you sometimes. No, Paul wants to, to know that in the prison that he's in, he's continuously praying for this bunch of believers. And this has nothing to do with what we're going to look at. But I, I found this so challenging as I read this. I'm thinking, does prayer shape my life like this? Now, I know each of you. Do I pray like Paul prayed? for the church in Colossae, for each of you. Hands up, I don't. I'm trying to more. I can tell you that. I can tell you that I am being challenged already in terms of how I pray for you. But also, how do I pray for other churches I know of that I don't know who's there? Am I praying for God to, to be with them, to cause them to understand more of who he is? I want us to be challenged by this letter that Paul, just in the throwaway words, they're not throwaways. They're there to challenge us. Let's be those who look around the room and maybe we start like there of just saying, who else is on my row? This coming week, I'm going to give myself to praying for them. Anyway, that's another throwaway. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, within these verses, Paul wants us to understand there is a foundation that we're to live our lives from. There's a building, there are building blocks we're to shape everything else around once we've put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That in our understanding that he now has changed everything, 
it causes us to then live differently day by day. And from this passage, I want us to see that there are four key building blocks that Paul expresses of knowing, of living, of strengthening, and of thanking. And I want us to see that this isn't, therefore, this linear road that so often, because of our Western mindset, we can tend to think, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore it's this sense of I'm going on a linear road of continuing on a path of discovery. Whereas actually what Paul was thinking of was something way different. Something where we find that each element, that as we get hold of it, feeds into the next. In that rather than us finding a linear path, we find one that's a circular path. That we find actually, the more we know of God, the more it shapes how we live for God. The more we understand of how we're to live for God, we realize we need strength to live that. The more we receive his strength, the more we realize what we've got. So it causes us to thank him, which in turn causes us in thanking him to want to know more of him. And rather than this being like Groundhog Day, where we kind of wake up every day going, oh, it's the same thing. No, live, strength, thanks. It's rather that we get to understand this is like a spiral. A spiral that just keeps going in and in. That The more and more we live this, the more and more it draws us into the depth and wonder of who God is and who we are in light of him. And what we're going to get to at the very end is we're going to get to a point of communion. Where at communion there are so many kind of things we get to remember and get to receive. And in it, what I'm hoping is that we'll get to that point of saying, actually, Jesus, I recognize the foundation you've put in my life. And Jesus, I want to put it back there. I want to come and, and repent where I've, I've turned and, and sought to allow some of the small stuff to take precedent. And rather put you back there. And then I receive a fresh of you today. And for many of us in the room, that's where we're going to be. For some of us, we may never have ever taken communion because we've never said, Jesus, you're the one who's at the center of my life. And for you today, maybe today is the moment where you get to say, Jesus, you're at the center. And so if you're in that position, I'd say, keep your heart open. Say, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Because if you're offering something that can cause the rest of life to make sense, surely it's worth knowing. Therefore, I want to just take us through briefly then how Paul kind of examines what each of these building blocks looks like. And so we'll start off with knowing. And so in verse 1-9, Paul writes this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You see, God isn't one who wants to hide himself from us. The moment that Jesus came on the earth, it was God breaking out saying, I want to be known. That Jesus came as God and man, but came to reveal just the wonder of who God is. We're going to see that next week when we see this amazing poem that reveals the wonder of who Jesus is as the unseen God. But God is one who longs to be known. God is one who longs for you and I to know his will. What he's desiring, not just for us, but the whole of creation. In actual fact, that isn't something that's been hidden, that once you begin to discover who Jesus is, you realize when you look at the whole of the story of the Bible, that actually is a story where God continuously keeps breaking out and breaking into our story of humanity to reveal what his will is. N.T. Wright says this about this verse. 
He says the knowledge of God's will is more than simply insight into how God wants us, wants his people to behave. I think we can so often limit God in that. Just saying, actually, God's will is like, what am I meant to do? N.T. Wright says, in terms of this verse, what Paul is expanding is actually, it is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ. And hence, a knowledge of God himself. What N.T. Wright is saying here is that God longs for you and I to know the wonder of what it looks like to be saved, to be rescued, to be freed by Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. But as we get to know that, it's also that God longs for us to know more of who he is. Because more that we understand of what it means that you and I have been saved, the more we get to realize the kind of God who saved us. In order that we get to moments like this, where we gather to worship and say, yes, God, you're the one that every breath we have, we want to praise you. We get to understand that God is a father who is so good. But that isn't like one moment forever. Oh, yeah, what I've known, that's it. No, no, there's a continual invitation to know more of this life that we get through Jesus in order that we get to see more and more of this God who gives us it. And Paul wants us to see that in these verses. So we find in verse 13 that Paul reveals the wonder of what it looks like that Jesus has saved you and I, that Jesus has rescued us. He says the will of God was to rescue us, to rescue us from something and in something. He says the will of God was to rescue us through his son, Jesus, into his kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son who he loves. But it was to rescue us from a dominion. And he kind of juxtaposed these two moments of saying this dominion of darkness, this kingdom of light. And it's so important that we understand that you and I have been rescued. It's so important that we understand that you and I could be rescued. See, we were those who were part of a dominion of darkness, a dominion. In other words, a realm and authority that was continuously seeking to dominate us. To oppress us. I don't know if you've ever been in a pitch black room. Just hang in there for a moment because this will help us understand why Paul uses these words of a dominion, a, a, a realm that's seeking to oppress, to dominate, and then sticks darkness in with it as well. I remember going to an art exhibition here at the MAC with Gus Rosier. I remember going upstairs to the first floor, and it was a very unusual art exhibition. You've maybe heard me share this story before. I don't apologize for sharing it again, because it just illustrates the point. And the art exhibition was this. that You went in, and the, the guys who were hosting the exhibition, the MAC staff, wouldn't actually go in the room. Uh, I didn't find out till afterwards why they wouldn't go in the room. But as we went to the door, they said, like, this exhibition is slightly unusual. It's to reveal the kind of terror of what it looks like to work in the deepest mine in South Africa. And so they said, what you'll find is when you go in there, the room is pitch black, and there's the noise of a lift shaft at the very end of the room, and you'll find that is overwhelming, and it will cause all of your senses to go. And if at any point, once we close the doors and you're in pitch black, you can call out, and we'll come and open the doors and shine a torch so you know how to get out. Gus and I are like, well, no, we don't need that. We're totally fine. There's nothing that can scare us. So we head into the room, not holding hands, but we head into the room. And the door's shut. 
and it is genuinely pitch black. Like you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Now I'm getting accustomed to this as well as the noise that's coming from ahead of me, which is disorientating. I kind of step into the room and immediately can't get a sense of, of the dimensions of the room. The thing that I do know is that Gus Rosier is no longer by the side of me. Now, I kind of knew that probably would happen, and I knew that he was crawling on the floor somewhere. And I knew he was crawling on the floor because at any point, he was then going to grab me to make me scream. That was the deal. I knew that was going to happen, but still, I was very apprehensive. And suddenly, I started to grope around, kicking, to see if I could find Gus. And I was kicking in a manner that would enable him to scream before me. And so there I was. But soon I found myself well away from the door that we came into. And I found myself disorientated. I found myself um, very fearful. Not only at the fact that I felt disorientated, but also the fact that Gus was somewhere. And also this sense of growing sense of unease that I don't know the way out. And then... From behind, two hands grabbed my shoulders, and I screamed. <laughs> At that point, the doors opened, and a young lady shined a torch in, and I graciously made my way out of the door, never to look and speak to Gus again. As we made our way out, I talked to the lady, and she says, oh, yeah, it's really scary in there. She said, that's why none of us go in. But none of us want to go in there, because it's so scary. We just hang out here. I said, why don't you say that? This is horrible. But what I realized is when Paul uses words to describe something of where we've been rescued from, he's using them on purpose. So when he says we've been rescued from a dominion of darkness, it's in order that we get to understand how this dominion, this realm that's seeking to dominate us, is characterized. That it is characterized by darkness. A darkness that's seeking to continuously oppress and take away all other senses. A darkness that causes us to live with that sense of apprehension, actual fear and terror. That's characterized by despair. Of realizing that we can't find a way out. That however good our life is, we're never sure if we're quite good enough. Of characterized by the fact that it disorientates us. Just like when you're in a room that's pitch black and you can't figure out where the door is, then actually we find ourselves in life trying to figure out how to make the best of it, and yet it never seems to quite work. And then ultimately, this dominion is characterized by death, something that no one can escape. That we find that only the sentence of death is there for everyone but also the, the destiny of it continues to, to send a scent, a reek throughout our lives, that we are surrounded by decay. We look at the whole of creation and realize there's just decay around it. Just look in your fridge when you get home. And you discover it. And Paul says, look, we are those that were rescued from a dominion of darkness. Something that none of us could do anything about but that Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection has rescued us in to a kingdom. And he suddenly changes from dominion that is all about dominating to kingdom because suddenly it's all about a rule and reign of a king who defines everything of that kingdom. 
And what we discover is where the darkness was about domination, that actually the kingdom is characterized by one who is a king who is willing to give up everything to bring us into it. Suddenly you realize, all right, so this is going to be different. And Paul then kind of reveals through that statement of this is a kingdom that is revealed by the kingdom, king, and therefore it is, rather than dark, is light. It's a realm under God's rule and reign where everything is illuminated, that it isn't hidden how we're to live. That actually we get to understand what God's pleasure and goodness is, and therefore we get to live in light of it. It's a kingdom where it's characterized by God's unconditional love. The rather of us continuously living with fear, we get to live understanding that we're more loved than we could dare to believe. That it's a kingdom that's revealed and characterized by liberty. That we don't need to live kind of with that sense of despair as am I going to be good enough? We suddenly get freed from that. In order that we get to understand that we're forgiven, that we get to live free from guilt and shame, forever liberated, that no one can bring any charge against us. That we get to live in this kingdom that's characterized by life and life eternal. That suddenly, rather than be the death being the focus, that suddenly we realize, no, we're invited to life. And life from this moment now that will go on forever. We're the source of life. So we haven't got time this morning to unpack this fully, but Paul wants us to understand that how we've been rescued does change everything. Because this kingdom of the Son that is light, is one that's going to fill the whole of creation. You see it in Revelation 22, where suddenly when John is, gets this image of what it looks like when God restores everything, he says, oh, there's no more night there, because he who is light fills everything. Suddenly what we know as individuals to be brought into the wonder of this son's kingdom actually is going to be filled throughout the whole of the cosmos in order that all of it would be brought into his light, his goodness, his love, his liberty, his life. Paul says, look, we're to know this. This isn't hidden. This isn't you to take it because Adrian Hurst has said it. No, no, you're to look and to examine through Scripture because as you examine this, this isn't hidden from you. It's there revealed through Scripture to you, through Jesus in order that we can know who we are in him, but also who God is, who saved and rescued us. Because as we know this, it then feeds into that element of how we then live. So that Paul writes in Colossians 1, 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, the more and more we understand and know who God is and how he's rescued us, it suddenly causes us to live in light of that. We realize we're not those that any longer live in a dominion of darkness. We're those who live in the kingdom of sun who is light. And therefore we get to be those who share and reveal this kingdom of light in and through everything we do. We get to be those that live revealing life, revealing freedom, revealing love, revealing the light of who he is, the beauty of who he is. That in everything, suddenly we realize we're not looking for something. We're not looking to be loved or accepted or to prove we're good enough. We realize that we already are, so we get to share that with others. And therefore, we get to cause others to know that they're loved. We get to others to know that they're built up, that they're producing life in them, rather than them becoming 
destroyed and decayed. We get to be those that live, revealing good fruit of who he is. But also for some of us, I recognize that sometimes it can feel like that dominion doesn't want to let go. The truth is we've been rescued from it. That dominion still has power. We haven't got time this morning to look at that, but the, the Bible is very clear that the dominion of darkness has those that are destined to be there forever. And it talks through scripture about one who is seeking to always usurp God of his authority, always seeking to be the opposite of who God is. And that's the devil. And he has all these cronies that are seeking to oppress. And for some of us, we've been rescued and brought into this kingdom of light. And yet there's one who's seeking to continuously say, I know I can still dominate you. I can still dominate you with darkness and oppression. And for us, man, the, the call to say, oh yeah, we're to live by revealing and by sharing actually just feels a step too far. We're saying, man, it feels pretty dark. And for us, the call is to know that part of us living is to realize that that domain of darkness no longer, ha no longer has any authority over us. And we have to get up each day and say, no, what I know, I now live in. And that's our call, to live in this place of light, rather than allowing darkness to break in. And sometimes it can feel like, yeah, but you don't understand how dark it is. Well, I tell you what, however dark it is and the darker it gets, I promise you that just the smallest shaft of light will be so bright in the darkness. And the thing is, we can then think, well, okay, I've got to live this way, but this is a lot on me. How am I going to do this? Well, this is why it's so important that we understand that this then brings us to that point of strengthening. That Paul writes in Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience that isn't down to us. That in what we know, in what we live, we then have strength by the Spirit, which is the power of God, to actually then live in light of this. That when we feel like darkness is oppressing still, that we're clinging on to what we know, it isn't that we're then thinking, this is all down to me, it's actually, Holy Spirit, I need you. And we have a Father who loves to give the Holy Spirit, who comes with power to what? To strengthen. To strengthen to do what? In order that we'd endure and be patient. That's amazing, isn't it? Endurance and patience. Both of them basically mean the same thing. In order that we can just keep going. See, for some of us, it means that as the darkness is coming in, that we get to know, we get to live, then we get to know the Spirit giving us what we need to keep going. For others of us, we say, oh no, I know I'm living in this kingdom of light, and yeah, I want to live and, and share it and reveal it. We don't do it in our own strength. We know that actually the Spirit's longing to come and give us everything we need to keep going in revealing and sharing. And see, as we live in that, it then causes us to get to that last bit of thanking. So Paul writes, one, Colossians 1.12, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You see, we could be in error if we didn't get to this bit. Because if we get to knowing and living and strengthening, we can then think it ends with us. <laughs> in us then being in the world, revealing who God is. That's a good destiny, but it's not the full answer. 
Because actually what it should always lead us to is a deep sense of gratitude and joy in the one who's given this life to live in and reveal. And so it is that as we know more of this life, as we know more of the God who's given us it, it causes us to live more in light of it, which it gives us that strength to understand we don't do this in our own strength. In his, it then turns us to that sense of, God, I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm way better off than I should ever be. I was talking to Anthony Iona this morning, just before this morning's meeting, and I'm sure they won't mind me just mentioning them, but we were just talking how, they said, how's your year been? I was saying, well, it is an adventure which is filled with highs, lows, bits that are painful, but it is an adventure. And then Iona turned to me and said, yeah, but isn't it also that we always get to the end thinking, I couldn't have done that if it wasn't for God? I thought, yes, that's exactly it. If we ever get to the end of our days thinking, I couldn't have done that without God then actually there's something wrong. We should always get to the end of our day, each weekday, each weekend day, saying, God, I couldn't have done that without you. Because if we can, there's something we're missing in our need of what God was there for. We've kind of got to a point where we think, I can do this myself. I don't need you. Take a back seat, God. I've got this one. I tell you what, you're not any longer going into knowing more of what God has for us. I think we've got into just self-provision. I am dangerously sometimes close to that. And I have to keep coming back saying, God, I've ended today. I wake up most mornings saying, Father, I really need you. The days I get worried is when I don't pray that, when I start the day. We are highly dependent on him. Why? Because we always were. We could never get out of darkness. We needed him to break us into his light. Therefore, we get to that point of thankfulness, saying, God, I am so thankful what you've done today, what you're doing through me, which then causes us to get back to the cycle, because in the thankfulness and joy of who we see in our Father, it then causes us to say, I want to know more. What I've known is not enough. God, I want to know more of what it means that I've been rescued by you. God, I want to know more of what it means of who you are as my rescuer which then in turn gives us that sense of what we know, we live. What we live, we get strength for. What we get strength for, we are thankful for, which then gives us back to that knowing, which is why Paul says, this is a rhythm that we're to live with every day. The question is, how are your foundations? How am I? Are we putting the rocks in to the jars of our life? Or have we been putting the sand in first? Do we need to get back to saying, God, it never gets any more complicated than this, that each day I come saying, I want to know more of who I am in you and more of who you are. And out of that, I want to live in light of it, knowing that you're going to give strength to me as I do. And I want to live as I know these things with a deep sense of gratitude of who you are.